step inside. Lock the door behind you. You're walking in on another $5 buzz. My name is George Cursor. I'm sitting comfortably here in Scottsdale, Arizona. It's great to get away from the East Coast every now and then. Enjoy the cactuses. But my friend Pete Liska, he's got a bag of the dank from the res, possibly. (laughs) How are you feeling tonight, Pete? Los Angeles, California. Good. Also in Los Angeles, California, Roger Mayer. Remember, uh, the plural of cactus is cacti. We've got some cacti. (laughs) We've got some citrus spray. And guys, if the fan isn't running hard enough, let me know. Also in California, Nate Garden in uh, down in the Orange County. Even though you are in Orange County, you're no stranger to the Abbey and you're no stranger to Shea J. You know a little bit about Los Angeles, no? I became a Californian Santa Monica. Great. And, you know, on the East Coast, our lone East Coast representative tonight is a man who sits comfortably in the great state of Rhode Island in the shadows of Providence, Tom Glasgow, Rhode Island born, Rhode Island bred. And when I die, I'll be long Rhode Island dead, right? <laughs> Have you heard Tom's that from now? Plattsburgh. And then? <laughs> I, that's, uh, he is no, from Plattsburgh, but you've never heard that? All right. I thought, I thought kicking around uh, Rhode Island long enough, you would have heard that. But yeah, yeah. The, we come together tonight. We're going to talk about uh, the 25th anniversary of the Clifford Ball. For those at home that don't know what the Clifford Ball is, it was the first massive concert put on by a rock band called Fish. Fish is from Burlington, Vermont, and um, right across Lake Champlain, three of uh, the gentlemen on this podcast tonight, Tom, uh, Pete Liska, and Nate Garden, grew up in Plattsburgh. So we, while this show will get into the nuts and bolts in part two about Fish and the concert itself, we wanted to paint the background about what it was like growing up in the area, what this event meant to the region and uh you know what the what the impact was uh as we stand 25 years later uh crazy enough to say nate um for those of us uh, you know from i grew up in long island new york uh plattsburgh is up route 87 which is a mega highway for those that don't know that runs um across um uh, north and south in New York State, it, it, it goes through the distance of uh, Massachusetts and Vermont, but it sits in this nice uh, area, which is close to uh, Burlington, Vermont, a big city uh, in that state, home of uh, Mayor Bernie Sanders, ex-Mayor Bernie Sanders, shout out to him. You guys are close to Lake Placid and also right across the border from Montreal, which is a world-class city with uh, a lot of European, especially French, uh, undertones to it. So what can you tell us about that region? Like, what's the impact on uh, the U.S. uh, in in a historical sense? Well, Plattsburgh was settled, uh, it was right after the Revolutionary War. We'd finished up with uh, the British forces, and uh, this guy named Zephaniah Platt came down. I think it was from Poughkeepsie, New York. And they wanted, because it was, the, the, it was so close to Canada, there's a lot of trade interest on the St. Lawrence River. So they set up this, uh, this city um, relatively close to Canada. Um, I am, uh, I'm going to, it's probably a bad time to admit this, but I'm really terrible at history and geography. So <laughs> tough for me to um, comment intelligently on any of this. Hey, Tom, but I think something you can uh, comment intelligently on is the fact that you and Pete, 
and uh, Nate, not that far away, you guys grew up in a university town. It was the State University of New York at Plattsburgh. Uh, what was it like growing up there? Uh, there was a military, uh, was it an Air Force base? Was it a military base? What was it like yeah. growing up in, in a, a town where you had the military presence, but you also had the whole dynamic of a college town, which had frat guys, hippies, the whole nine yards. What was that like? Yeah, it was from other parts of the state. I'm sorry. Yeah, it was, uh, uh, you know, idyllic, I think, growing up. You're in the Adirondacks. You know, you have the base, which is a culture. You have the the, the school, which is a culture. and in, you know, situated next to Burlington and just south of Montreal and north of New York City and, you know, the Olympics were there. And like, this seems like, uh, I don't know, it was, it, was, it was a great place to grow up for sure. Pete, what do you Michigan? remember? Yeah, Michigan's. What, Pete, tell us what a Michigan is and what do you remember about uh, maybe drinking a couple of uh, brown sodas behind the school with a guy named Clark Julia? <laughs> well, uh, growing up in Plattsburgh, I, I say this often to, to people. I've, I've definitely told Nate and uh, Tom this, but I think it was probably one of the most perfect places you could grow up. Uh, free to ride your bike anywhere, you know, go grab Michigan, do whatever you want. And, and What is a Michigan for the layman? <laughs> a Michigan, George. <laughs> it's a hot dog with, of beauty. Meat, with meat sauce. It's probably one of the best pieces, uh, best uh, meals you can have. Definitely a signature of Plattsburgh, and I definitely recommend getting them with onions buried. I know that's not how Nate does it, but <laughs> that's how I do it. Anyway, Michigan's aside, one thing I'm realizing as we're thinking about the Plattsburgh Air Force Base is that uh, it was very interesting and cool to have this thing like a military base as a child it was there was a there was a there was a kind of a, a mystery driving by those walls driving by uh, you go down route nine and get your michigan and you drive back into town and you'd see this it was just this there was a big plane a big uh, bomber from world war ii out front and all the guards and all the all the all the um fa- i don't know fanciness of of the military around you at an age where you don't really understand what's going on. So it's just occurring to me how really cool actually that aspect of having that place was and, and the meaning of being able to go into it for a concert was actually really thrilling. I think for a lot of us to go see this thing that we could never really get behind every now and then we'd, we'd be allowed to a friend or, or some other situation, but to go and explore those grounds for that concert was actually a pretty cool thing is, just kind of occurring to me as you as you say it and to piggyback on what p said like the airbase remember santa claus was on top of that at Christmas? yeah the giant absolutely santa. that was the best yeah it was uh it was i mean we grew up too it was like the pre-snopes era too like there's all kinds of someone had an uncle who had a friend that worked at the pentagon and well you always have this like we're number three on moscow's hit list because that's where all right nukes were pointed and stuff and we always kind of lived this was the Red Dawn era when we were kids and in school. Wolverine a badge of honor. Yeah. Oh yeah, you'd always hear about you'd always hear about the missile silos that were out there and pointed out. I mean that that was something that was just this weird ominous thing that we grew up with. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's actually pretty amazing to think about. It was it was a cool thing to see. I would think as a kid, you know, um, yeah. So speaking of the Soviets, Nate. Um, Something that also happened in the region was the 1980 Lake Placid Olympics. And uh, I know you guys are pretty young during that uh, period, but uh, just to give the listeners at home 
a little context, like how close you guys grew up to that. And, you know, I know we're going to get into this major uh, fish concert, but it wasn't the first time that, uh, you know, the Adirondack region hosted a very uh, significant event. What do you guys remember about the 80 Olympics, Nate? Well, they, they hosted in 32 and 80. And, 32, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was, I was, I, was I turned five that winter. And I, uh, it's one of my earliest memories of seeing that little raccoon. That was like the, the, uh, the 80 Olympiad. Uh, mascot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Everywhere. Yeah. Yep. Yes. We, we didn't, it was like, it's, it's been um, historically heralded, infamously heralded as the most poorly executed Olympic Games in, in the history of the Olympiad. Because you've got Route 9 is a tiny little two lane road going in and out they put up all these like they threw up these mom and pop hotels overnight on route nine they're still there they're like section eight like homeless shelters now it's but, true um, it, uh it, it, in and out people couldn't get into you'd have a ticket to an event and you, and you couldn't get in and a lot of stuff was um underattended and they make it all look cool on tv it's 1980 so it wasn't like the you know 2010 olympics in vancouver or anything it was kind of it's the olympics and it was cool but that's the miracle on ice so that's right. Yeah, dude, they also had to, um, a lot of people don't know this, but they had to sequester the Russian players at that, what's now a prison down the road <laughs> from Lake Placid. What's that What's that minimum security prison that's out there? It's uh, It's not Danamora, obviously, but it's... Um, Franklin guys, County Correctional? No, there's a name for it. You always see it when you're driving up to Saranac Lake, and I cannot remember for the life of me, for the life of me to remember it, but it's where they held the Russians it was close enough in proximity to Lake Placid that they could transport the Russians over there. Cause they had to part of their requirement for going there was that they had to be sequestered so they wouldn't escape communism yeah. while traveling over. Hey Roger, I know that there's a lot of East coast talk here. Um, do you, what do you remember at the 80 Olympics? Anything is it, did that resonate with you at all? Yeah. I just remember LA Gould on Saturday Night Live said, we finally kicked Russia's ass. <laughs> you know that wasn't even a gold medal game like that that's a that's a really misunderstood like, every, yeah. everyone assumes that was that was a gold medal game but that was just the uh the, 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 the semi-final that's yeah, right that's right yeah it, hey nate was that just a ploy to get kurt russell some work <laughs> <laughs> exactly but i'll tell you what man that, that matthew craig that dude can't he can't buy dinner anywhere man like his his tab is covered everywhere he goes yeah and tom another um you know, before we, we get into the nuts and bolts of the fish show, um, just to paint the background of, again, uh, of the area, a lot of folks may at home may be familiar with Dana Mora from the Netflix series. Um, the prison was not too far from where you guys grew up. Do you remember anything about Dana Mora? I know the son of Sam was in there. I think Tupac was in there. That Colin Ferguson, who was uh, the Long Island Railroad uh, assassin was in there they had some pretty high profile bad individuals in that establishment no yeah yeah uh, my father uh was born in danamora and my aunt uh lived there until she passed and uh so the prison is just right in your grill like right on the street and uh yeah it was really cool watching the uh well i guess as cool as watching inmates escape from prison can be, but it was wild to see it on the news every day and in our hometown involved. But yeah, it looms large over the city. You can see it from town and yeah, uh, it's right there. It's, it's the life force of uh, the whole region. All we, yeah. that's what we got going on now is that, well, parks doing all right, but the industrial uh, prison complex, like, and that's just not just Dan and Moore, there's medium security ones all over the place there. 
You know, it's interesting too, uh, Nate, like uh, you guys remember and Tom, like driving into Dannemora and that huge wall on your right. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's just another one of those things that I'm, I'm uh, just occurring to me now. Like we had that with the base in town, but then we would go up the road to Dannemora and there was <laughs> right. this other ominous thing that you that, didn't really know what was going on behind that wall. Was that would eventually yeah. make national headlines. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Yeah. It's weird that yeah. like every few years, Bernie Sanders, you know, right from the area. It's just like every few years, like this yep. <laughs> massive story comes out of that area. It's weird. That's so true. Yeah. And it's um, Roger, sorry, uh, real quickly, like growing up downstate, you know, even though New York state, a lot of people just think about like New York city, but it's a massive land area. And where I grew up in New in Long Island, you know, I was about 30 miles from um, New York city, but Datamora was a, a word we heard about. We knew what it was. And if you were fucking going to Datamora, you were a bad fucking dude. Yeah. That, you know, it was somewhere you, they said somewhere you do not want to go. If you wind up in Datamora, it is as, you know, Roger, or the West Coast. I mean, I guess it was the East Coast uh, answer to like Folsom or like uh, Chino or one of the worst prisons uh, in the U.S., I yeah, would say. Right? It, yeah, they don't send you there for overdue books, George. Or selling Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> the stories, too. Like you grow up, a lot of our friends, their, their, their dads, their, their uncles were all CEOs. And just the story and just these poor men get so just jaded by being around that every single day. Yeah. Although there's more industry now with the, uh, the park there. In Michigan's. You guys in Michigan's, oh, Michigan's, <laughs> it, that's, that, that, they'll never die. Now you say the park, Tom, is that? Yeah, the, I'm like, don't they have a industrial park there now? Is that yeah. what the base was? Is that what the base turned into? Yeah, park. That's called and, the park. Yeah, it's a plastic. It was something about um, plastic air revitalization core oh. committee or something like that. But after NAFTA, that, we, can, we can touch all that stuff. But yeah. that's why Fish didn't get a second shot because NAFTA yeah, has yeah. been signed and people, there was a lot of money invested in park already. And the guy that brought Fish there was one of the uh, was one of the uh, council members of the one of the park uh, chairman. Oh. All right. Well, guys, listen, Pete's going to reload us here. I know Tom's been giving that spoof a run I, for its money. I but just, when, uh, <laughs> George, you'll be glad to know I just changed the dryer sheets, changed the dryer uh, sheets. in the spoof. And uh, this stash is actually from the blue mug. So that's great. I think we're in for a treat. I appreciate that. We're going to go for round two guys here. We're going to, uh, we call this the reload section of the show. Pete is going to make sure the fan is operating uh, optimally. I'm going to make sure the door is locked. I thought I heard a little tap at the door. We're going to ignore that, and we'll be right back. So we're talking about um, the end of the Cold War. We're talking about uh, the 80 Olympics. Um, so Plattsburgh has this Air Force base and Bill Clinton is elected and around the world, the Cold War has ended and there really isn't such a need for all this military presence around the world. Nate, how did that affect the region in terms of this Air Force base that ultimately became the site of the Fish concert? Well, actually, it was it was Bush uh, Bush forty one Herbert Walker. I think it was ninety or ninety one. He uh, 
had something. It was it was, it was kind of like in, in the in the grand spirit of disarmament, we're gonna pass this bill. It was called the uh, the Base Closure Act or something like that. And um, what happened in Plattsburgh was kind of it was a, a gut punch because um, we were a re, we we had become a we were all it was a missile launch, but after the Cold War, we became a refueling station. So we totally changed the aspect of uh, what, what was going on there. The function of that base changed from like 88 on to uh, a refueling station, but we were, sl we were slated for uh, an expansion. So everyone was like putting all this money into Plattsburgh because there was a, there was a list of six bases that were going to close and we weren't on it. We were on the expansion list. We were supposed to double and not get wiped out. But then Clinton comes along and um, he starts looking at the electoral map and he's got the, the base that they came down to two that were going to get closed. It was, was Plattsburgh Air Force Base in McGuire, New Jersey. And uh, I don't know if you guys are the 21st congressional district is the North country's uh, Congress. It's, we had one democratic elected Congressman there, Bill Owens in 160 years or something like that. It goes all the way back to Lincoln. That, that has been held by a Republican forever. So Clinton said, uh, I'm not going to lose any votes here. New York's a lock, but New Jersey's a swing state in 96. So I'm going to, I'm going to ax Plattsburgh and McGuire's going to stay. So, it was just dirty politics. <clears throat> wow. And Tom, do you remember that? What did that mean to the region? Was that like a blow to, was that a gut punch? Yeah, it was a bummer for sure. Yeah. Like, it, like Nate said, it was, looked like it was going to stay for a while and then, uh, then it was up against somebody else and then it was gone. And was uh, yeah, it was a real, it was a real, it was a real bummer. It, it was palpable in the in the city, but but it does have a university and it and it is on a lake and it's it's got a lot of things going for it. It's but not. I also I also think though that Burlington catapulted way ahead of Plattsburgh, and I think I think Plattsburgh suffered some tough tough years re refiguring out what it what it is what it was going to be, you know, and um, I mean because Burlington really became way better than it, it did, but. It, proximity was nice too that that it was close to burlington i mean that's true we, you know we could have been burlington too though because what, what vermont did and what burlington did was when you like i've been all over the world i got a passport looks like a dandelion gone to seeds there is nothing more beautiful in the champlain valley man like when you come home yeah. like any season it is gorgeous there what burlington did was let's capitalize on all this and the most beautiful waterfront in all of new england we could have done and that the down the downtown in Plattsburgh, sorry to cut you off, but the downtown in Plattsburgh was right for it. Like they could have just shut it all down and made it into something like Church Street, something that was really cool. We got like plants and mills and all that industrial stuff is on our waterfront. It's not even a nice residential waterfront there. What about the Pyramid Mall? Champlain <laughs> <laughs> Center North. Now, guys, guys, you're talking about um, Burlington, Vermont for the folks at home, uh, which is right across uh, Lake Champlain from Plattsburgh. It's almost, Tom, I think a sister city Burlington is to Plattsburgh. And yeah. most uh, listeners will probably know Burlington because of uh, Bernie Sanders, Mayor Bernie Sanders. Can you, can you tell us a little bit? Well, and about Ben and Jerry's. Ben yeah. Jerry's. <laughs> Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. And fish. So, and fish. <laughs> so this, this sort of obscure city for the rest of the, you know, the country and the world, not really New Yorkers, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about Burlington, University of Vermont, Fish, Ben and Jerry's, and um, Governor and, and Mayor Bernie Sanders? And yeah, and I saw a significant uh, player in 
U.S. politics for probably the past decade or more, right? Yeah, I mean, we saw him when he was mayor of Burlington. It was like the neighbor city, and he was the mayor. Like it was, uh, we've known him forever. So it was shocking his skyrocket to uh, you know presidential uh, aspirations. But um, it was cool. I saw Bob Dylan for the first. You guys know him, Bob Dylan. Not first time I ever saw him was in Burlington at Memorial Auditorium. Um, and uh, 1992. Yep. I was there, baby. October. You were there? Yes. Reality opened up. I was at that show, Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Great show. Well, I, it wasn't that great a show. Bob was, was, uh, struggling at the time. Struggling. Uh, Still on the street. (laughs) Struggling. Still on the street. (laughs) But, uh, but the experience was, uh, just, it was incredible. But yeah, a lot of great shows because uh, they, they it was a legit stop on tours, you know. Pete, any thoughts I, I, on Berlin? Tom, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, one more thing. Uh, Plattsburgh is also a cut off of uh, what's that live album? Uh, Peter Frampton. Frampton comes yeah. alive. Yeah, 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 right. uh, one of the tracks is from Plattsburgh. Fun fact. Really? Plattsburgh State, right? Yep. Yeah. It's the yep. greatest selling live album of all time. Frampton comes alive. Plattsburgh, New York. Pete, do you remember anything about uh, Burlington? You got you ever oh, taken I any mean, road I, trips over there? All I, I I spent a ton of time in Burlington. I always loved going over there. My I mean, my grandma loved taking us over there as little kids, and because uh, it was a little nicer. And, and Nate is spot on with the notion that that's a city on situated on the lake with the Adirondack Mountains in its view. We were a city situated on the lake with the Green Mountains in our view. Oh. And those guys did one thing and made it a beautiful, beautiful place to go visit. And we put factories in a dumpy uh, marina down there. And it's, you know, it, it, it really, really changed. It really, we were, we were that side. We were that side of the tracks. We were that side of the river. The, of the lake, exactly. you know? <laughs> I mean, we could so, have Bur- so, so it sounds like Burlington, Vermont did a lot of things right. And um, to the wider world, at least the wider um, us if nothing else uh this rock and roll band called fish uh came out of burlington vermont i know a lot of those guys a few of those guys are come from syracuse new york but um fish is a band if you if the listeners aren't familiar with them they're essentially rooted in rock and roll they started out in the mid 80s and um they kind of traveled the path of the grateful dead uh, meaning that they did a ton of live shows. They allowed people to record the shows. They had the same type of crowd in terms of, um, you know, loose um, intimacy with drugs, uh, with a college crowd, community. With, yeah, community. And the thing about Fish is if you don't know their music, it's kind of a fusion of a lot of things. A lot of people will say, yes. The first thing that comes to mind is they're a Grateful Dead clone. I would say they're really not. I, I would say the artist that makes the most closest association with them is Frank Zappa, because Zappa would cycle in these brilliant musicians uh, and, and do all different types of genres of music. And that's what Fish did. They did everything from bluegrass to disco to funk to obviously rock and roll, but they did the barbershop quartet and you had these virtuosic musicians, if virtuosic is a right word, you know, you had- If it isn't, it it shouldn't be. be. I mean, 
I mean, Trey could slam on a Stratocaster with the best of them. I mean, the guy has his own sound. When I hear him play, uh, I know it's him right away. Paige McConnell and Pete, I know you sat in Paige side. What do they call that? When you sit on that side of the, the stage? The rage side. The rage side. And why is that, Pete? Because when Paige gets up, you get down. That's right. Now, you, have like, you have essentially a classically trained uh, pianist and uh, a really solid drummer rhythm section there. So Fish is a band that like kind of starts out in the 80s. They get signed to Electra Records. And um, I, again, you know, I grew up downstate New York and I had a buddy who uh, was an artist. His name is Craig Capone and he was a big influence on my life. And uh, he had an older brother who went to SUNY Brockport, State University of New York at Brockport, which is in Western New York. He was a couple years older than us and he would come home and he'd be like, hey man, you got to check out, you know, you guys might laugh, Rusted Root. First time I ever heard of Rusted Root was from this guy. He was a big deadhead and he's like, you got to check out this man called Fish. And I heard him, I listened to him a little bit. This is probably like 1994, 95. I'm like, all right, these guys are okay. You know, don't mind them. And then when I went off to college, I, I, I could not, understand or believe how popular these guys were in upstate new york um massachusetts new england obviously in vermont so uh do you got what, what do you guys remember as like i mean these guys are sort of like a local band for is that accurate tom yeah oh definitely there was definitely a hometown that those were our guys you know and i you know they were kind of like, uh, I don't say rush, but like, I don't know. There rush, was something about them when they first came out that uh, to like them was cool, but also to not like them was cool. And, uh, you know, I, I think I started there just not having heard them. And then when I finally did end up hearing them, I was like, oh, shit, I've been missing out on, yeah. on great. But I was, hooked, I was hooked early. But, yeah, we knew them long before they, you know, who they are now you'd have friends visit from like pennsylvania and met a school and they, they were like want to go to nectar's you know nectar's is this bar in Burlington where they first started playing and that's kind of like uh i don't know the equivalent of the cavern for the beatles like if you're Burlington, you got to go to nectar's if you're a fish pete what do you remember about fish growing up was there anything significant that sticks out for me what sticks out is that a couple of our older friends um like clark you mentioned earlier and uh buddy mike uh they would they were going to see those guys at, at plattsburgh state when they would play hawkins hall probably like i'm talking maybe like 92 or something like that and um fish had this little had this lore about him because of nectars as nate mentioned and uh also i would say between fish and this other band the tragically hip which were from canada right. those two bands were kind of our high school experience i mean there was people basically I mean, in one camp or the other, or both. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. we were we were lucky to be close to that Canadian music and um, and uh, fish fish being from Burlington definitely was part of the fabric of going through high school uh, in the in the early nineties, like we did. They they kind of had a like a kind of by circumstance like they didn't have these big huge outdoor festivals because the dead owned that whole market and Jerry passed in 95 was like audience was homeless all of a sudden. So that's when, uh, that's when Clifford ball was conceived. Like we could, uh, these people got to go somewhere and we can, uh, we can start doing these big outdoor things. 
And it's funny that, like, if I'm looking right now at Fish's, the, the amount of shows they played. So, like, in 1990, they did 92 shows. 91, they did 116 shows. Like, that's a show, like, basically every other day, right, man? They're grinding. 92, they do 108 shows. 93, 109. 94, 124, where they kind of peak in terms of the amount of shows they're playing. So, in 96... Like in 1995, even though Fish is not a household name, Roger, like what did you, did you know of these guys? I mean, you're very, uh, in, you know, you know a lot about all different types of genres of music. Did Fish make it to the West Coast at all? Yeah, I mean, they were, of course, people knew about Fish on the West Coast. But, you know, I mean, my group, you know, when it comes to jam bands or, or that sort of long noodling uh, improvisational set we were into you know sister a by the velvet underground or sonic youth you know and the sonic feedback and noise and things like melt banana and the boredoms and stuff like that fish was always too a little bit you know a little too much like uh dudes walking around in shorts and sandals and you know not 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 my scene and just for you know as many as 91 shows is impressive for a year but black flag did 368 shows in one year so <laughs> fuck fish. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes, dude. So so fish is kind of out there grinding out, playing all these college towns. They're playing SUNY Binghamton. They played fucking SUNY Potsdam. That show is available yeah. if you want to hear it. So in nineteen ninety-six, they decide, hey, we're gonna do this massive show at this abandoned Air Force base. So, Nate, do you remember anything about, like, was this like a, a topic in um, local <laughs> politics where the, were the adults in the room saying, hey, oh, yeah. let's pump the brakes on all these hippies showing up into town? No, it was uh, with this, this guy fish on the park committee. I was like, what are we going to do? The base is gone. We're counting on, we're, we're going to miss out on a $30 million revenue. He crunched the numbers and he's like, give me a week and I'll, I'll do it. Uh, people are going to come. This was right after the you know, Woodstock was in 94. People right. were coming and, and, and paying, but it wasn't just like money for tickets and, and the promoters. Like the money gets pumped into the local community. The guys that are selling bottled water, the kids that are walking around selling cigarettes off the res and stuff. Like that, that that's money coming in from the city that, that, that's feeding people. So they were all about it. And not to mention that, not to mention all the coins getting tossed into the tolls at that point, right? The state was kind of getting a drip off it too, wasn't it? Oh, for sure. The next day, that place was picked clean. Like all the people came in and then picked all the bottles and empties up for for the deposits and stuff. Like it was pretty. It was a good. There, you know, there there's a one death. A kid OD'd in the tent, and then I think a couple kids uh, had a, had a car accident on an '87 that was fatal. But I think they they decided they could have gone off without a hitch, like like Woodstock. And they treated it like Altamont. They're like, nope, never again. It's not going to happen. But I think they had made that decision long before because of all the money that was, you know, already invested in these jobs coming in from Montreal and that and stuff. Those are great. And they, they tried to get out of it before the it even went on. Yeah. Uh, but the the contract was uh, very well written and they could not, Plattsburgh could not get out of it. Plattsburgh was trying to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and Tom, the funny thing is, it wasn't like it was like Guns N' Roses or like some like, you know, think of that time era, like some really outlandish, lootish behavior. Like Fish, you know, say what you want, whether you like their music or not. I mean, these guys are 
pretty much spreading positive vibes into the universe. Like, is that a, a right way to, to think about those guys? Yeah, but you get 70, 80,000 people yeah. in the town <laughs> and you're going to have a couple that aren't spreading positive vibes. <laughs> and uh, They might be huffing dust off for a while. <laughs> they might be taking a dump on your front lawn. Uh, <laughs> um, so, you know. <laughs> we also had the hindsight of the two Highgate shows. The first Highgate show went yeah. out. And that was such a boost to the economy. Highgate was right across the lake from us too. It's like a, it's kind of like the Beatman town where I'm from to their Plattsburgh. Highgate is like a little tiny hamlet of, of Burlington. And Highgate went off the first time without a hitch. Highgate '95 was like that's that was the hell in a bucket tour. It was like three or four shows before Jerry died, and uh, that was just terrible. Like it was just lawless. It was a, it turned into a free show. I was there. Yeah. I saw the fence coming down. I was right in front row for Dylan. Man, he opened up with that. Like yeah, Dylan opened up. You're talking um, about the Grateful Dead playing the Highgate shows. Is this what you're referring yeah. to? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. For exactly. context. Yeah. It, and the, the last tour, that 95 tour was a disaster. I don't know if you may remember, but it made big news. Yeah. Scaffolding fell and killed somebody and like people getting like, uh, you know, bad yeah. things happening. And this is where we're from. It's like Ruby Red, Rockefeller, New York, where it's like drugs bad, you know, dares, failing kids and stuff. It's like that, that element, these kids on tour with dead are now homeless. So this was basically Highgate free to the town fathers. Like, oh, it's just going to be those dirtbags again. We don't want this here. That's a great point. Oh, totally. Absolutely. That's what happened. That's and, the fun that was into it. And Nate, I, I know you don't, you're obviously not, uh, you would never call yourself a fish fan or a fish supporter, but what were the scenesters like at the Clifford Bowl? Were you saying there was an element of guys that weren't necessarily fans, but were like fi- well-financed coming from? There were, there were bros there. And you got to remember too, like bouncing around the room came out and that's the equivalent of like touching gray. And that, remember that dimension <laughs> that brought the dead audience? Like yeah. did, these are people, oh, we got to get all the MTV kids coming in. You know, girls like my high school girlfriend, like getting their hair had braided and stuff in their tie-dyed shirt and like putting on the <laughs> You know, the, the, a real fish head yeah, just grabs something out of the back. They, 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 they like plan their fish concert, their, their Halloween uh, fish costume or whatever. They were seasters for sure. Selling veggie burritos outside of their yeah. dad's uh, Ford Explorer. <laughs> we're going now, Pete, 96, you were still a senior in high school. What was the build out like from uh, the point of view of like uh, a local, like, you and your contemporaries like well that was the summer before college so i i I graduated college in the summer leading up to it going to college i mean honestly for me and uh and and my friends like uh you know tom you know like shane and jason and those guys this was like this was like what's that movie uh that link letter movie raj which one days uh, confused oh yeah where they have the big Aerosmith concert at the end. That that was right. uh, like we graduated right. and we the big thing was this concert at the end of the summer in August before we all went away. You know, that it was that's the experience that we had. We were very, wow. very excited for it. You know, we it was it was massive. Actually in the movie they were on their way to get tickets. Oh yeah, tickets. But <laughs> before the concert, that was at the end of the co- summer, wasn't it? They had to go. He goes, yeah. look, coach, me and my friends got to go get tickets. <laughs> Priority is dumb. Listen, I my loser friends. I, I tell you what, though. I'm sorry, George. I just have, it bears mentioning. Um, I, I just noticed that tickets were $55 for, I think it was for both days, but you had to pay $20 a night to camp on the grounds. So you're talking about, oh, well, just under a hundred dollars to do the whole thing, which was a lot of money 
for a lot of people in, the in 1996 area. sure and, and 1996 and a lot of plattsburgh locals i think did not actually get to go to the show because the, i remember it being prohibitively expensive maybe some people could go for one night or for a day pass didn't do the camping thing but it was it wasn't necessarily for all the people because it was it was very expensive especially for a downtrodden plattsburgh at the time which was not yeah. not in the greatest economic place it was, I think it was the, a capital goods expense for kids that wanted to go in and sell cigarettes and stuff if you had to shell out a hundred you'd make it back on your first carton you know selling yeah yeah, yeah right fish heads, but like you had to you had to do that so it's there, funny that yeah. you you couldn't do it there anymore and like the fact that a festival now people are dropping like five six seven eight thousand dollars to go oh, yeah. to a destination place in mexico like who's gonna have a festival in plattsburgh anyway like i mean it's just a, a unique moment in time the, the the whole industry is different now i suppose yeah. i have a dream of doing a five dollar buzz mega festival on the clipper on the side of the plastic air force <laughs> yeah we could sell that out easily so Tom, I, I i just want to know the frame of mind though people who would shell out 95 dollars to see seven sets of one band in two days it's well that's speed. a great question i, I mean I, I mean i would i mean lollapalooza was like 35 bucks and you yeah. saw eight bands you know yeah one band seven times Sounds nuts to me. No, and you're not <laughs> you're not wrong, Roger. But the but what I think it does speak to is that the same thing that the dead had that fish have, even though they are very different, is that you're never gonna see the same thing twice. It's a constant. Like I, you 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 have to give credit where credit is due, in that you're going to get a new thing that, like a lot of those Lollapalooza bands. It's the same set every time you see them. And you know, it's not even that exciting to go see them because you know they're going to play all of their hits. It's all going to be the thing you see. You're not going to have that experience. I stand by this with Fish. Yeah. I don't love the band, but I do love going to their shows because it is different, wildly different every time. And I think that speaks to some really cool artistry and talent. It's I don't think, I don't, I don't think I saw, uh, I saw the Butthole Surfers uh, two nights in a row. They didn't have the same set list either. They fall into their own category. <laughs> nah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, there's a bitch also in Camaro. <laughs> it's a bitch in Camaro. And guys, um, in uh, to Pete's point, you know, it, even if you're not a fish fan, which I would say a large part of uh, society is not. You know, it's kind of a choir chase. You either get it, Tom, like you always say, you're in for a penny, you're in for a pound. The experience I would recommend to anyone, even, and Nate, you know, you, you could probably speak to this by going to the Clifford Ball. You're not, consider yourself a fan of the band. Um, just, I would say, go to the show, man, where it's a safe environment where you could kind of cut loose. Tom, I remember when you and I and our buddy Mike Val saw, we caught a show at Madison Square Garden. I don't, I want to say Danny Cohen might have been there. I'm, I don't know for certain, but we ended up at this bar called um, the Molly Wee, which is really most of the time a New York Ranger fucking hangout. It's where all the guys go to get juiced up before a fucking puck drop at MSG. But when the Rangers are off and there's a band in town, they'll load the jukebox up with the band who's ever playing so you walk into this 
really working class New York Ranger bar, which that scene is not a fish scene and they're playing all fish tunes. We're in there. So we go to the show, we come out, it's a, it's a, it's a fucking great show. And we're hanging out, we're having beers, just, you know, having a couple of laughs. And Tom, this fucking guy comes walking down eighth Avenue in Manhattan, midtown Manhattan with a fucking nitrous tank, had to be at least four feet tall, just walking down the street. And he sets up, shop like right in one of these old bed in uh coin operated telephone booths and he's handing out <laughs> fucking balloons in i mean this is the type of shit that like you will never see that anywhere else right three for 20 where's your money three for 20 where's your money <laughs> yeah. you, go, you go to spac they sell them out of the baby carriages <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> thing with fish too though it's kind of like a lot of folks like i remember that the, they were playing and half the people were still at camp. It's kind of like a parrot head. Like I'm not a Jimmy Buffett guy. It's like awful music, but that's an experience. It's like a, it's a cultural experience you're paying for. You're not necessarily paying to, to go and listen to a band. You're going to live in this community for for a weekend, and that's that's the price of admission, just to be around. Okay, that's that makes more sense to me, I guess. I, yeah, that's I, how I, I think. I, I, I George, can I just step in here for a second? Sure. I just I just want to ask, can you guys give me a sense of what it was like? for two days i mean what was the real atmosphere you know there was uh, there was beyond fish they had seven sets including one of them when they were on a steak bed driving around you know playing throughout the crowd but there were also other acts at the at this event too you guys there was other things there was like rides there was it was it was a carnival atmosphere but there was an orchestra at one point blues musicians so to were any of those people, did they play on the same stage there's as art, Fish? There was an art installation up above that there's like a, like a little hill there. And the whole point, Clifford Ball was a, was a, wasn't a Clifford Ball, like Ball in the party sense. Clifford Ball was like an aviation pioneer. Like, yeah. Like, with, with, the, with the Roy brothers. So the, the reason they had it on the airbase was, I think, well, they got the airbase first and the theme followed. It's like, all right, we're called the Clifford Ball. And they had all this like early aviation art installation stuff, the kind of stuff you'd see at like Burning Man, but on a smaller scale. So you'd walk around, everyone's tripping out. There's all this cool stuff. And it was just, uh, it's, it's unlike any, I've been to a lot of concerts. I mean, uh, it was it was pretty cool from an anthropological uh, standpoint. Like it was, and I, I've been at dead shows and stuff. Like it, it, Fish is, a, is like next level with the whole uh, I don't know, abstract uh, aspect of uh, concert going. Oh, I mean, almost like Flaming Lips kind of abstract. Like just... <laughs> Not not quite a Burning Man atmosphere, but like it, it's pretty wild. It's uh, is anything you know? Pe- people performing like like just like uh, regular layman concert attendees, like juggling, juggling, like fire sticks and, and, yeah. and all that yeah, type yeah, of yeah. thing going on everywhere. That's what I meant. I yeah, absolutely. Interpreting songs with their own like <clears throat> rhyme and stuff. Like the people, the fish heads are they're they're deep thinkers, man. Like the real fish heads. I don't mean to bounce around the room set, but like the, the people that really really get into fish like Fozzie and stuff and how well organized would you say the event was because it by all intents and purposes it seemed pretty organized for an event that I mean I believe the it was not 80 to 90 thousand people were there and it became the ninth largest city in all of New York at that point and uh with that many people that you know just descending upon one location for the most all intents and purposes everything i've read up on it seemed to be that it was fairly well organized would you would you agree with that 
Most yeah. definitely. Yeah, it was funny too because like the people that they, they just hired people like yellow shirts from the community to to, to do this. It's funny. Pete and I share and Tom share a couple of friends. They're probably the biggest criminals I know. <laughs> they work in security. You yeah, know, it was just funny. <laughs> that is true. Clearly, no background check on uh the, 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 that week prior interview that they conducted. To, they were just giving the keys to golf carts to anybody and stuff. Like, oh yeah, the like, hires the Hell's Angels. Yeah, I, exactly. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I remember, I, well, I remember, I, I was just going to say, I remember the aftermath of the US Festival and out here. And it was, I mean, the Detroit, I mean, it was a nightmare. That place was leveled after it was gone. And it was, it took a while, kind of like Woodstock, to clean all that shit up. It, 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 there was nothing that's super negative that happened, but you knew after it happened that, that it was not happening again. Like, <laughs> this is just made before. Like, this, this is a one and done. This is going to be a jump. Start. Yeah. Yeah. Foot. Fish wanted to come back. I read yeah. Fish wanted to come back, yeah. but the city was like, no, 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 no. It is unfortunate because Tom's absolutely right. Like you knew it was not going to happen again. Yeah, not that you thought that it might, but it didn't even seem like it was going to be an The city was like, <laughs> eh, I think we'll try for an airport. <laughs> but as far as organization goes, I mean, for my experience there, I I I stayed over the first night and I left. No, I I actually, I'm sorry, I went the first day, left came back the second day and stayed over that day. And when I stayed over, I set up, I had a van at the time. My dad had this huge like Chevy one ton van and it had couches in the back. I pulled into this spot on the tarmac. There's a whole field for camping, but there's also car parking. And I pulled into this big spot. We pulled the couches out, put them on top of the van, sp spread out and set up a whole amazing setup. Wow. And I mean, we saw all of it. We would sit up there, you know, we saw the truck going by that night. We saw, I mean, it was, it was a wild, really cool, especially being 18 years old, electric, electric feeling. I never experienced anything like it. Never experienced anything like it. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what happens when you have that much ecstasy in your system. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Tom, a question for you. You know, you went off to university in 95, 96, uh, you're coming home for summer. And I remember meeting you and all our friends at college. And back in those days, email was just, uh, it, it wasn't a widely adopted practice. No. A lot of folks passed around, like, you know, write your phone number down. Did you have a lot of people giving you a phone call? Like, you know, 4th of July, hey, Tom, we're coming up. You know, do you have room? Can I crash with you? Being a native of Plattsburgh, what was that like? You know, my recollection of it, and, you know, it's hazy at best, but uh, was that I was hanging mostly with my friends from high school at the time. And then I, I, I'm sure there were people from Potsdam there and they were probably hanging out with friends of theirs from high school, but um, I don't, and you know, it's interesting. And it kind of ties into it is that the, the time of the concert, there's no cell phones or, right. uh, you know, email, forget email. There's no phone, you know, um, it was no social media. You couldn't find anybody. There was like a message board where people would tack shit up. Yeah, like, yeah, hey, yeah. I'm over there. Come find me. <laughs> you know, so it would have been a different experience had it happened now. When I, I checked my email in 1995 and 96, Nate, I, it, you know, you had to have a disc. You popped yeah. a floppy disk or like a, <laughs> a disc into like a hard drive to check your email, right? I still got, I still got my, uh, my, my email infancy Netscape account, man. I, I never <laughs> Yeah, we were like, did the Netscape guy fall asleep at the wheel? Did they let Nate know that uh, the show was starting? I registered that account. I don't know how to take it. 
I remember though, like the, the lead up to that, 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 that spring semester in 96, people were asking me, I remember Letty Petisano and Roush, you're like, hey, can we come stay at, at the farm? I'm like, dude, I'm like 10 miles from there, man. You're going to want to be on scene. Like you guys can stay with me, but trust me, that's where the farm's going to be. And I don't think people really knew what this was about. Like they thought it was going to be like a walk-in show, walk out, and, and no one, I, I think these kind of things are in their infancy. Because even, even dead shows you didn't camp at, you, you drove in and you drove out. People hung around in the lots, you know, until the sun came up. But it wasn't like a, you know, they're, they're this camping pass festival thing it was really in its infancy then. And Fish kind of, there was a blueprint for it. Like they, they kind of started all that. We were talking about that earlier. I mean, that that is a, it's a really great point. Uh, you know, you, you have the dead that had big shows you know they would do a handful of the huge like 70 to 100,000 k shows a year but for the most part it was a a, a, a one night affair not yeah. a camp out thing but yeah i mean aside from burning man which we we found out started in 86 you had Lollapalooza, which started in 91 and then you have this clifford ball by a single band to put on this three-day event with art installations and, and the and the scale of it, they were ahead of their time, or at least they were in the beginning. Of, they they were they were with the the original the original guys from that area era. I would say as well. I'm yeah. sorry. Was it was it two days or three days? It was two nights, but three. Uh, actually, no. It was two nights of music. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You came in Friday. Yeah. You were allowed to camp Friday night, so it was uh, you rolled yeah. in and you, you left Sunday. Yeah, that's right. It was Friday it, to Sunday. As seven sets, did they play Friday night? They played three sets a night. So they started in the afternoon and they went through three sets each of the main nights, which was either Friday and Saturday or Saturday and Sunday. I don't even remember. So that and must have been Friday and Saturday, right, Nate? Yeah. Tom. There, there's a morning, there's a morning and there's there's a matinee show and there was an evening show. And then people were on the music. There's maybe twenty thousand down at the stage at a time, and people just stayed up because you could hear it, man. They're, they're, oh, they're yeah. decibels. You could hear that all the way at the lake. Like yeah. you, you could and just hang out in your, in your in your camp area and just listen to the music and just yeah. that was the that was the experience for me i actually I feel like out. i only went to like two sets of the <laughs> whole thing uh, i'm seeing nielsen from like 200 yards away and like, yeah, I'm so sad. <laughs> but, uh, but i have all kinds of random positive people there didn't they have uh one performance in the middle of the night like at three in the morning that, that was, was the flatbed that's the flatbed yeah. And then, and then, how long typically? I've been to Grateful Dead shows. I've been, I've been to six of them. But how many? How long does each set? I mean, how long was each set? Since roughly, like a usually. Set. I, I think they're probably no. Yeah, they're not four and a half hours like. No, not a no, but they're formidable. I don't think they're like short forty-five minute deals. They're probably close to like an hour and a half each or so. I would think. Let me look five, it up. five songs over an hour and a half. That's a that's a fish. <laughs> <laughs> hey Tom, why do you think that there's such this like uh, religious fervor for fish? I mean, they obviously like the music is not very approachable for like the top forty listener or your average uh, person. Like, your own question, man. There it is. exactly. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. Yeah, that that because it's, it feels like you're listening to something special. Yeah, yeah. I, guess. The, I don't know. I did the turn on the radio, and I don't know. It's the, oof. I mean, there's good stuff on the radio, but nowadays you don't even listen to the radio. You listen to whatever you want to listen to. It's funny. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's intriguing that fish. Um, you know what we've said about them, and like they've gone. You know, they started out with the Clifford Ball, and they've done these other festivals where you know they go to Maine. 
Maine or to go to like the, like the, the most southern tip of Florida and make it challenging for uh, their fans to get there. I don't know, Peter, they're just testing them to see if they'll come. And, I, you know, Fish doesn't seem like a band that's really motivated by uh, money or compensation. I mean, obviously, everyone is to a certain extent. It, it doesn't seem like that's their primary motivation. And, you know, all these years later, I mean, I think maybe like a year or two ago before COVID, Fish played Madison Square Garden like 15 nights in a row. And if I'm, unless I'm mistaken. It was 13 they, nights. The, the Baker's does the Baker's 13 does. nights, yeah. So they sell out Madison Square Garden, the Mecca in New York City, 13 nights in a row. Don't repeat a song. Folks come out of the fucking woodwork. And, and, and I think it's safe to say if Fish wanted to go 20 shows, they probably could have sold those shows out. So it's just... It's really interesting that these guys have this like religious experience uh, aura to them and people really resonate to them. And dude, you know, have you ever heard a fucking fish song on the radio? Like if you ask the average person on the street, you know, 99 out of a hundred probably couldn't name one fish song. And if they could name one, they probably couldn't name three or five gone to their head. But the one you do find could name 70. Yes. You know, yeah. yeah, remember, these, these guys were floppy <laughs> students in the Reagan 80s, man. And these guys weren't capitalists by any means, man. They were at UVM studying philosophy in, in, in the early 1980s when everyone was like trying to be, what's his name, Gordon Gecko, you know. So these guys are, they're into the music. like, And I think there's an aspect too, which were the dead kind of stayed on the road just because of the, the tour. They were, they were feeding so many families with, with the trucking and touring and stuff. I think that the guys feel a responsibility to their to their corporation like they, they've got they, the COVID must be killing all these people that are oh god they, I, I know firsthand uh some some folks that are in music that are really struggling as far as touring bands go but also to the same point you you all just made both you and and uh george the the location you mentioned george the 10 locations i don't think it was financially motivated more as much as it was maybe motivated by the fact that they were isolated and they wouldn't yeah. be bothered kind of like in that same, like you're going somewhere and being alone and letting a huge group of people not really affect too much. Like you don't want to do that in the middle of where, where too much can happen. It's more or less these safe out of the way places where people can go nuts for a couple of days. And that's, I remember that they did well, a that's show attraction like, to it. You know, they did a show on like the Seminole Indian reservation in yeah. Florida yeah, and uh, I know they did a big show up in. They've Maine. done Bonnaroo a couple times, so they were they've they've headlined festivals. Uh, so it's not like they're exclusively their own thing. They do participate in the festival thing, but you know those though, all those shows have great stories to them. Another that go to Mexico, I think too is like that. That's the cut down on the just people coming off the street. Like the stuff that killed the dead was just bros and stuff coming up for the scene. If you hold a show in Mexico, it's a destination. You're you're, you're going to get purists and just like. People that belong to the religion of fish, you're not going to get, you know, riffraff coming out. That's a fantastic but, point, yeah. especially at three thousand or four thousand dollars a ticket. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey Tom, I remember you and I caught the Grateful Dead's 50th anniversary show in Chicago, uh, Soldier Field. That was an epic weekend. I hate to use the word epic, but that's really what it was. Uh, we caught Thievery Corporation play uh, a bunch of dead tunes. And I remember a lot of these old school deadheads, for some reason, they didn't really like Trey. Like, what do you think that was? Was that a rivalry thing? Did they not think that Trey was up to uh, playing the... Well, set the, stage, set the stage, George, because I don't know if everybody realizes what you're referencing is that, that this was also important to note that this was a big 
reunion of the Grateful Dead members with Trey Anastasio, the guitarist of Fish. Right. So that that in and of itself was very intriguing to a lot of people. But continue with what you're saying because I think it was fascinating the the point you were making about how he wasn't necessarily as well received. Yeah. Uh, sorry uh, for you know I. Uh... Foolish me, I, I assume everyone <laughs> likes all the things. Uh, it, it, it happens to me all the time. I'm like, wait, you're not as enthusiastic about this as I am? Uh, so, yeah, so the Grateful Dead, they're going to have their 50th anniversary show, and they're going to do it in Chicago, Soldier Field, where, Tom, unless I, I, I think that was the last place that Garcia played before he passed away. Yeah. And uh, obviously, they need somebody of... Uh, who has the dexterity to play the songs, who knows the songs, who can sing when called upon. I think at that point in time, like Phil Lesh was kind of taking over a lot of the Jerry songs and him and Bob were kind of splitting it. And well, at this particular show was like, it was going to be like basically the last time that all the uh, surviving members of the Grateful Dead were going to play. And uh, Trey got the tap to come and play for them. And, a lot of the, the, the classic olds, but he, he got all that. He gained like 40 pounds and they, they were teasing him. He was considering chopping off his finger. Like, that's how <laughs> method he, like he was. That's how method he was going. He was just elated to be tapped to, to, to do this. It's like, uh, yeah. Tom, do you remember that dynamic at all? Like, that whole, like, the, the, the older generation wasn't really warming up to uh, Trey? Yeah, but I think overall there were more positive vibes than negative vibes that weekend. I think Trey deferred to him, to them. And, uh, you know, I love the uh, the Let Trey Sing t-shirt I think uh, Bobby wore. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It would have been nice to to see him let loose a little bit more, but I I thought it was great. I don't know. Haters are going to hate man. Haters are going to hate us. So. Um, Guys, um, I want to. I'm going to jump in, and uh, you know, certainly um, some fascinating stuff we we got to tonight. You know, personally, growing up in Plattsburgh uh, brings back a lot of memories of not only um, you know hanging out with you kids as a kid, but uh, also the base and the in the prison and uh, and that area. You know, is really really something else. And for us to be uh, talking about it in the context of uh, the Clifford Ball, which was such an uh, interesting if nothing else, event. Um, I think we covered some ground, and uh, this represents part one, actually, of um, a series we're doing on this. We're going to we're gonna wrap it up with um, um, another guest down the road, but um, I want to say thanks, and, uh, you know, any parting parting shots or parting thoughts at, uh, at Plattsburgh, uh, let's go around the horn. Raj? Well, I just want to say thank you guys for giving me a little bit of in-depth for what I like to call the band that's the art house exemplars of the John Tesh genre <laughs> of the John Tesh variety. Yes. <laughs> hey, don't, don't sleep on John Tesh, man. No, guy, I, hey, he used to host Hollywood man. tonight. I know. Very handsome man too. <laughs> yes. Now, Roger, by the way, I scoured the internet for any film that a fish song was in. I couldn't find one. I, I don't think it exists. They're in a handful of like really bad TV shows, but that's about it. I don't know what that says, but I feel like there's some cinematic songs. Wasn't uh, Casablanca? Didn't they? <laughs> Didn't mean, it was mean Streets. <laughs> yeah, they played Contact at on, in Mean Streets. You just didn't hear it. <laughs> 
know Nathaniel. Oh, dude, growing up, man, didn't you guys think every kid in America had a, a prehistoric uh, sea monster in their lake, man? Like, how can we? How can we Champy. not finish without mentioning Champion? Champion. We had a like, sea monster. I mean, we had a sea monster. Kid, the, Come the, on, the Junior Barkey Loch Ness monster is right in our Champy. lake. Champy. <laughs> Champy. Champy. Dude, great. Everyone has an uncle who's seen him. It was so a great lake for like two weeks until like the senator from Michigan was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> oh my God, the, guys, big, the big Great Lake controversy. We're, we're, we're going to be great the lake. sixth Great Lake. We're not. like two, for two weeks, we were a Great Lake. <laughs> two weeks. And a couple of dudes. That was a revenge. Huge a fine scandal. lake, but that is not... <laughs> I know a great lake when I see one, and <laughs> that is not a great lake. And it was stripped of us. It's terrible, it's terrible. George, good job, bud. What do you say? Yeah, I will say that uh, the few times that I've been to Plattsburgh, I've enjoyed myself. Whether it was Monopoles, whether it was the Cardinal Pub, whether it was having lunch with Clark Sulia's mother, who cooked myself, you, Pete, and my sister a home cooked meal. Shout out to Clark. Very happy for him uh, on his sobriety. Love him. I'd love to have him on the show. Lindsay Recor, great friend of the show. Another Plattsburgh native. Uh, love Plattsburgh. And uh, Nate will be back on. Tom will be back on. And uh, guys, appreciate the time. And uh, we're going to do uh, a Clifford Ball part two with a fish uh, aficionado. And that's all I will say. Guys, <laughs> right, when are we going to suck on a Michigan? Oh, because sooner the better. Roger, I would, I would die to have Michigan's with you. You would love, uh, uh, love them. I, I mean, I would Let's knock three down in a second, man. You get together this summer, Pete. I'm down. We'll uh, uh, family recipes and see. We'll have the taste off, Roger. Dude, I, I don't have a family recipe. My family is a bunch of assholes. They don't know how to make this. Squirt mustard and catch it together with chili powder. My, my <laughs> sister-in-law is among the best. Uh, really? Yeah. Uh, nice. Lisa, you I'm know so, Lisa. Lisa oh my God. Set for you. Really? Yeah. Uh, she knows Lisa about Michigan's. Yeah, Lisa. Yeah. Amazing, amazing wow. Michigan's. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right, George. You can kill the recording, and then we'll uh, we'll say our goodbyes, guys. Sure. Yes, dude. Yes. Dude.